reading this morning from Luke chapter 6. This comes on the heels of uh, Jesus speaking core truths in Luke. People refer to the teaching before this as the Sermon on the Plain. This parable is also in Matthew following the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like the man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. This is the gospel of Christ. Pray with me. Father, we simply pray this morning that you would show us your truth, and that your truth would set us free. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. May be seated. The summer after ninth grade, I had my first experience camping. I went with my best friend's family over into Arkansas and another family to a beautiful area called Blanchard Springs in Arkansas. And we had a great time. And, um, you know, there's a lot of different things I can share about uh, as far as that initial camping trip. But one of the highlights of the trip for me, we were there for a few days, is going into the small town which was called Mountain View, Arkansas, uh, near this campground on a Saturday night. And they had a traditional town square, and boy, it was uh, a scene to behold there in the summer on a Saturday night in Mountain View, Arkansas. And there was a bunch of different things going on, but one of the common threads throughout uh, the activities in downtown Mountain View on a Saturday night in the summer was music. And uh, it was not necessarily formal, and it was not necessary, uh, necessarily uh, in accord or concert with each other, but a lot of different pods out there of people, you know, picking a banjo or playing a guitar or doing whatever. And as the night went on, you just kind of wandered through and, you know, visited and fellowshiped and heard these random people playing music. But as the night went on, the, a crowd started to gather kind of around a de facto main stage. And I guess the musicians had some sort of pecking order. And so some kind of fell off, and then others rose up. And uh, by the end of the evening, you essentially had a full 10-plus person band uh, playing, you know, good old picking tunes uh, in downtown Mountain View, Arkansas. And myself, along with my friend and my friend's father, uh, you know, kind of were interestingly positioned as the crowd gathered around. We didn't know what was happening. We essentially were backstage, if you will. Um, though there was not a curtain or anything like that. And we, we were positioned right next to one of the lead guitar players. And me being the ninth grader that I was, that just always was looking to, I don't know, be sarcastic and make a joke, I guess, uh, started just kind of talking to this guy about playing guitar and started to tout my own abilities as a guitarist. Um, I don't play guitar. Uh, I didn't and I don't. Um, but I was having fun talking to him about it. And, um, you know, just kind of chewing back and forth. And he kept mentioning that he had another guitar uh, that I was welcome to play. And, uh, you know, I told him, no, it was kind of their thing. And, 
Uh, it's probably not my place to do it. And, uh, but then my friend, who was you know, just enjoying the stuff that I was doing, uh, started to egg this man on and then therefore egg me on to really get me to play. And next thing I knew it, I had this guy's car keys going to his truck uh, to get his extra guitar. And, ne and next to the extra guitar, he had a huge extra cowboy hat. And so I decided I would grab the guitar and the hat. And so I uh, made my way back up over there and had his hat on, which he thought was funny, and was holding the guitar. And then he told me, well, I needed to get it out of the case. And I said, well, of course, I'll get it out of the case. And um, then he pulled up the chair. And, and this is not a performance per se, as in like he was not playing on this particular song and other people were playing. But at this point, there were at least a couple hundred people that were out in front. And he and I are having this conversation back there, and then so he gets me set up, and I'm in the chair holding the guitar with the hat on, and um, I'm just sitting there holding the guitar with the hat on, and they're playing some songs, and he keeps turning around to me like, come on. Um, and basically, like, if you're so good, surely you can play the songs that we're playing. And so at one point, he says, are you ready? And I said, no, I'm, I'm not ready yet. I'm just trying to get it in tune. And I acted like I was, I'd seen people with the guitar before do something, and, but I'm just going through the motions, right? And finally, he turns to me, and he said, man, we're ready. Like, why aren't you playing with us? And I said, I'm sorry. I don't really know any of the songs that you're playing. And he said, well, we can do other songs. Like, what song do you know? <laughs> and I don't know why I said this. This was a really foolish uh, I should have said, I don't know. My favorite band at the time was R.E.M. I should have said you know, an R.E.M. song, but instead, I said, Rocky Top. He said, we know Rocky Top. Uh, and, right, and seriously, they have banjos, banjos, like, of course they know Rocky Top, even though this is Arkansas. And um, so they start playing. And I'm like, just kind of looking down, trying not to make eye contact with the guy. And he turns around, and at this point, he's starting to get irritated. Um, and like, he's moving from like mild irritation to just flat out anger with me. Um, and then the song ends, and I, all I could do is try to act like I was fixing something on the guitar. And he said, you can't play guitar, can you? And I said, no, I was just pretending that I could play. And he said, I think that it's time for you to go to the stage. And all my friends and family, and they can see it, I'm telling you, there's at least 200 people, and they're out there laughing, and it was just quite... A scene, And I've thought about that story on a number of different levels, but today in our text, the way that Jesus begins made me really think about my time in Mountain View. I don't know if you caught the first verse in verse 46, and in Matthew 7, Jesus says this too, but he says, there are many who pretend. There are many among you who say, Lord, Lord. And in fact, he expounds upon this a little bit more in Matthew 7, which is a parallel passage. And he says, there are many who say, Lord, Lord, but on that day will not partake in the kingdom of heaven. You see, it's very easy in life, whether honestly you be in a position of belief or unbelief, to pretend. It's easy to pretend, period. In fact, we are all great pretenders, right? But pretending is much more perilous when it comes to our spirituality. And what I want us to see today is that Christ calls us out of simply pretending. 
Christ calls us out of simply saying, Lord, Lord. And he calls us to truly hearing and doing, to truly embracing and embodying him as our foundation. Luke chapter 6 is a passage that is about building a foundation. And simply stated, Luke chapter 6, this parable teaches us that Jesus is our foundation. Simply stated, Christ is our foundation. But if we want to truly build our home, and we're all building a home, right? Building a life is building a home. Whether you're doing that spiritually, religiously, intentionally, or unintentionally, we are all building a home, figuratively speaking. And Luke 6 is a passage that's calling us to build our home upon a firm foundation that we just sang about. The firm foundation of Jesus, which is embodied not simply in saying, Lord, Lord. But building our lives upon the foundation of Christ means truly embracing him holistically. So Gatorade had this ad campaign that has since ceased, but they ran it for years and years, where you would see athletes in black and white uh, performing various Sports, You know, running, playing tennis, playing volleyball. And you would see two guys hitting the ball back and forth on the tennis court and they would start to sweat. Remember this? And they would sweat like orange. Or you'd see the volleyball people making a dig in the sand and they might skim their elbow and their elbow would start to bleed blue. Right? Because what they were doing was drinking Gatorade. And they said, you drink orange Gatorade and you sweat. You drink blue Gatorade and you believe it. And Gatorade's slogan simply was, is it in you? Is it in you? Because the truth is, if it's in you, it will come out of you. You will bleed. You will sweat. You will cry. That which is in you. And Jesus is challenging, even in a way of warning to his people during the day and to us this morning. He's challenging us. He's asking us, am I in you? Like really in you? Not in a way where you simply just say that I'm in you. You see, we live in a day and time where Christianity is a mile wide and an inch deep. And if something is a mile wide and an inch deep, it's not a very firm Foundation. It's very shallow. And oftentimes that shallowness is rooted simply in words and not rooted in truly hearing and doing. Charles Spurgeon said this during his day. The common temptation is, instead of really repenting, to talk about repenting. Instead of truly loving, to talk of love without loving. Instead of coming to Christ, to speak about coming to Christ. And to profess to come to Christ and yet not actually come at all. This is the temptation, right? We love the idea of things 
But oftentimes, it's hard for us to embrace the reality. We like the idea of being humble. We talk about it. We like the idea of repenting. We like the idea of being a new creation. But the reality of that oftentimes is lacking. And I simply want to say graciously, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And there really is a gracious warning here from God to us. Because you see, there's storms that are coming. Life is a storm, right? I mean, daily, whether we like it or not, we awaken to clouds and to rain. Many times in our marriages, in our homes, in our workplace, in our city, we deal with the hurricanes, figuratively speaking, of divorce and of bullying among our kids, of sexual struggles and addiction. The storms of life are inevitable. Many, almost all of us to one degree or another, have to grapple with the storm of cancer, right? Or the storm of death and the storm of broken relationships. And it's hard. But we need a foundation in the midst of this. I can't help but to have been pretty fixated during this hurricane season, as you know, it's been well documented. Uh, 2017 has been quite perilous across the board with regard to hurricanes. Some of you have heard me talk before about my love for an experience in the island of St. John. been there four different times in the last eight or so years. And so I watched with great interest um, what Irma would do to St. John. And there's a lot that I could say about that, but what was very interesting in the uh, prior to Irma hitting, and of course they didn't know exactly how bad it was going to be, the people that were posting and the people that were putting videos uh, on uh, the Facebook and things like that uh, would talk about being in concrete structures. And they talked about and urging people to get out of wooden structures and get in concrete structures. And guess what? Everyone that was in a concrete structure, at least on St. John, made it. Well, Christ is our concrete structure in the midst of storms. And I want us to see that as we build our foundation upon Him, we've got to truly hear and we've got to do. Because storms are inevitable, and we all have a way to deal with them. But Christ is encouraging us here to be people that truly hear and to be people that truly do. And that's how we build our foundation on Him. What does it mean to hear the voice of the Lord? What does it mean to hear Christ? I think first it means to recognize the false voices that we hear in our lives. The other voices that are so influential in our ears and in our minds and in our lives, whether they be voices of other people, whether they be voices of various news outlets, voices of blogs, voices of books, all of which in and of themselves can be totally fine. 
but none of them in and of themselves speak words of eternal life. I love this conversation that Jesus has with Peter in the Gospels. And, and Jesus and Peter have some fantastic conversations. And he's having a conversation with Peter and some of the other disciples about a lot of people leaving him. A lot of people, what Jesus is saying is too hard for them. And you can probably relate with that. Jesus did have hard things to say. Even this morning, Jesus is saying something hard. And then Jesus turns to Peter, his best friend, and John and James, his other best friends, and the rest of the disciples, and says, are you going to leave me too? Just a plausible question. You know what Peter's answer was? No. Where else do we have to go? Only you have words of eternal life. Only you have words of eternal life. I don't care how good a particular mom blog is. I don't care how good a particular news source is. I don't care how wise your neighbor is. Nobody but Jesus has words of eternal life. And the question is, do we hear them? Do we hear his words? Or are we like our Old Testament passage, Isaiah 28? I don't know if you caught that in the bulletin. Isaiah talks about... God's people at the time not hearing God's truth and His Word and instead believing lies and taking refuge in lies and shelter in falsehood. He says, my people are ignoring me, the fountain of living water, and making for themselves cisterns that hold no water that are characterized by a refuge of lies and a shelter of falsehood. It reminds me, and some of you kids surely will recognize and, and even relate with this presently. I loved to build forts when I was a kid, like with blankets. It was awesome. Um, get all the blankets in the house, get the pillows, and you know, see if you can construct this awesome deal where essentially a whole room is covered with a blanket. You know, you try to find like heavy books that you know, weighed them down on a table and, and move one blanket over here. And, and occasionally, if, if you could sneak away or your mom would let you, you could maybe tack a little nail on the wall to put a sheet up over there. But the, the goal was to get the whole room essentially undercover and make a blanket fort. And then the greatest thing was, if you could do this in the playroom, let's say, was to sleep under the shelter of your own blanket fort in the playroom. Well, guess what? I tried that, I don't know, 50 times. And guess how I woke up every morning that I tried to sleep under a blanket fort in just a big pile of hot blankets because everything had fallen in, right? Like it was not structurally sound. My blanket fort did not have a good foundation. It did not have a good frame. It did not have a good structure. And that's what Isaiah is saying. He's saying, look, you're building your life. You're seeking to live in a home. That is like a little kid's blanket fort. It's a shelter of falsehood. It's a refuge of lies. C.S. Lewis says this, of course, right? In mere Christianity. Never, never pin your whole faith on any human being. Not if he is the best and the wisest in the whole world. There are a lot of nice things you can do with sand. But do not try to build a house with it. And that's what we're doing when we are hearing the voices 
of our culture. And we're hearing other people's voices. But honestly, maybe one of the worst voices that we listen to as far as constructing our lives around and trying to build our foundation upon is our own voice. Our own voice, actually, is pruned by default to speak words of shame. Our own voice. And there's something good about listening to our own voice as well. But our voice doesn't have words of eternal life. Our voice often has words of shame. Our voice often has, has words of perfectionism. Our voice often has words of discouragement or judgment or self-righteousness. Right? Moralism, legalism, that's our voice. And we build our lives around our voices and other voices and the voices of our culture. And then we wonder why we're so shaky. We wonder why we're unstable. We wonder why we have trouble enduring. Because we're spiritually speaking, living in a blanket fort. But what does it look like to truly hear the voice of Christ? You see, Christ is spoken of as the chief cornerstone. One of the things I love to see when hiking in the Smokies near the Elkmont area now they're starting to tear down a lot of these cabins but you've seen them in other places in the Smokies and other um, you know national parks and old sites as well houses that have crumbled with what remaining the chimney right it's the only thing built out of stone and rock and what a great picture it is that our voice and the voices of our culture And other people's voices are like the wooden homes. And Christ's voice is like that chimney that seemingly endures forever. I even think that that mental picture is good for us to have. To see Christ as the stone chimney. Sandra McCracken, one of my favorite artists, singer and songwriter in Nashville, who's experienced her own share of trials and difficulties, even very publicly in the last few years. And her newest album has a song entitled Steadfast. I want to read to you two verses, and I would encourage you to look it up. I will build my house, whether storm or drought, on the rock that does not move. I will set my hope in your love, O Lord, and your faithfulness will prove you're steadfast. You are steadfast. In the moment of emptiness, all was fulfilled. In the hour of darkness, your light was revealed. In the presence of death, your life was affirmed. In the absence of holiness, you are still God. You are steadfast. Steadfast. You are steadfast. Steadfast. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Are you the same yesterday, today, and forever? Is your favorite news personality the same yesterday, today, and forever? Is your favorite sports team the same yesterday, today, and forever? Is your spouse the same yesterday, today, and forever? What about your kids? Surely they're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Nobody is. Except Jesus who is the rock. The psalmist says this, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so does the Lord surround his people, 
from this time forth and forevermore. Isaiah says this in verse 20, in chapter 26. You can, this is fantastic, by the way. Think about this. Just pause. You keep those in perfect peace. Just hear that. We're kind of like sign me up. Perfect peace? I'm in. How's that happen? Whose mind is stayed on you? Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. Why? For the Lord is an everlasting rock. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do we hear the words of the Lord? And I know that might sound like a confusing and somewhat mystical concept. And I'm not saying that it's not nuanced in different ways. But I just want to be very clear. And I just kind of want to give you a softball that you've probably seen before. In answering the question, how do we hear the word of the Lord? We read the Bible. That's it. Sorry for throwing you a softball. Not a curveball. Not a different pitch. We hear the word of the Lord through the inspired, inherent, infallible Holy Spirit illuminating God's truth to us. Now it takes courage and on some level even fearlessness and practically it takes time and space and solitude to actually read the Bible, period. Or to have the Bible read to us. But God speaks through His Word. And we're called to listen, not just read. Eugene Peterson, in his, he's got this concept called contemplative exegesis. I know that sounds kind of fancy. But in this idea of contemplating what God's word is really saying, he says this, reading scripture is not the same as listening to God. To do one is not necessarily to do the other, but they are often assumed to do the same thing. Listening is an interpersonal act. It involves two or more people in fairly close proximity. The listener is required to be attentive to the speaker, more or less at the speaker's mercy. For the reader, it is quite different since the book is at the reader's mercy. It may be carried around from place to place, or not. Opened or shut at a whim, read or not read. When I read a book, the book does not know if I am paying attention or not. When I listen to a person, the person knows very well whether I am paying attention or not. In listening, another initiates the process. In reading, I open the book. I can read it by myself. I cannot listen by myself if I don't want to. Many people much prefer reading to listening. It is less demanding emotionally and can be arranged to suit personal convenience. But guess what? We're actually not called to simply read the Word of God. You know what we're called to do? Listen to God. Not simply read the Bible. Because you see, when we really hear God's Word, it provokes us to action. And that's the second and quick point. The second two points, by the way. If Christ is our foundation... And we're looking for a way to endure 
the storms and the trials in life. Our foundation is built not by speaking, but by hearing and doing. You see, we can't really do unless we hear. And if we truly hear from the voice of the Lord, it will provoke us to do. Because you see, hearing is not enough. My friends and I that teach and preach often in, in, in different training sessions, for example, in RUF, we would talk about and joke about this thing called the didactic fallacy. Didactic simply means to teach, and fallacy, of course, is something that is not true. And we many times operate on the didactic fallacy, which is this. I say it, they get it, and then do it. Like parents, you, you are guilty. I am guilty of that didactic fallacy. Right? That's all parenting is. Just say it, and they'll get it. Only if it were that simple. Well, God knows it's not that simple. He, God has said it. His words have permeated our being, but we don't really get it until we do it. You know what helps us to believe? To act as if we believe. You, you know one of the greatest recipes for doubt in the Christian life? To just act like you don't believe. It's amazing how much that fuels the fire. But it's also amazing how much it fuels the fire in another way that if we truly hear the word of the Lord, that that provokes us to action. And then we are able to not perfectly, but truly do what God's word calls us to do. Because you see, we all live under authority. One of my favorite authors and one of my favorite books, his name is Mark Buchanan, and the book is called The Rest of God. Restoring Your Soul by Restoring Sabbath says this about authority and doing if people are stopping to listen to you, who are you stopping to listen to? Think about this. I know a lot of you. Parents, other positions of authority. Everyone in here to some degree has some voice of authority in your life. And Mark Buchanan asked us, a lot of people listen to you. Here's a question. Who do you listen to? Either God gives us words or we are only giving opinions because all authority is derived. Our speaking comes out of our listening. What we say and what we do comes out of what we hear. You see, the whole point in learning more about God. So C.S. Lewis says theology is simply the science and the study of God. It's very easy for some of you me included, to get so caught up in some of the finer points, theologically speaking, of this point here and this there and this and that and the other that we just live in our heads. And guess what? Theology that is impractical is bad theology. The bottom line is, if your theological endeavors do not provoke you to love others and to love God more, you've got bad theology. I don't care how right it is with regard to orthodoxy. If your orthodoxy does not turn to orthopraxy, it's bad. Because all 
of knowing God is meant to be fleshed out and living for him. Let's close with a few practical points. Um, There's this separation between talking and hearing, and then there's a separation between hearing and doing. And it's worth contemplating why is there such a gap between hearing truth, even as we are this morning, hopefully not simply my words, but God's words. You know, preachers don't preach about the Word of God. Preachers are called to preach the Word of God. But it's not easy to do the Word of God because it's hard. You know, it takes energy to dig a deep foundation. It's a lot easier, actually, to just build like on the clay and the sand. It's a lot cheaper. Some of you literally built houses and you know. It would be a lot cheaper if you didn't have to dig such a deep foundation to get to the hard surface. It takes difficulty and it takes energy. I already mentioned this earlier, but if we want to close the gap between simply hearing and doing, it will not happen, look at me, without time, without pushing back the busyness, without silencing the other voices, and without learning to be still. And to cultivate solitude. And to truly believe that apart from God, we can do nothing. How can we close the gap between hearing and doing? last point I'll make is simply this. We can't. On our own. You see, we need the power of Christ to not simply say, Lord, Lord. We need the power of Christ to open our ears so we can hear truth. But we also need the power of Christ and His grace to be infused within us, spiritually speaking, in order to empower us and equip us to do something. So we close the gap between hearing and doing so we can build this foundation of stability and endurance in our life simply stated through Christ Himself, who, guess what? Heard. And he did. He was still. My favorite passages in Scripture is Isaiah 50. And this is Isaiah prophesying through Jesus himself and Jesus speaking about himself in Isaiah 50. Because you know Jesus wasn't born in the New Testament, right? Isaiah 50, verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, so I may do something, which is to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned back, not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. All right. In closing, we're going to find power not simply... To hear, but to do through Christ. Because Christ heard and he did. Isaiah 50 says this specifically about Jesus. Because he was human in the flesh, he needed morning by morning to awaken his ear. To listen to the Father. In order to do what? Isaiah tells us. To sustain him who is weary with a word. Where do you think Jesus gets the word to sustain others with? 
morning by morning, he awakens his ear to hear as one who is taught. What else does Isaiah 50 tell us Jesus did? He gave his back to those who shrunk and his cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. You know what Jesus heard from the Father? You have to go to the cross. You have to die for my people because they're full of a bunch of talk. You have to go to the cross because my people don't know how to hear you have to go to the cross because my people, even if they do hear, don't do. Jesus, do you hear me? Go and do. And aren't we thankful that he did? Let me close this in prayer. Father, we're thankful for the gospel. We would be with